on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 17th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016, we chat with female footy legend Lou Watton, captain of the USA Freedom and the Denver Lady Bulldogs, Hallie Adrian, and coach of the Canadian Northern Lights, Jason Arnold. All that on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Peter Holden, and welcome to our 17th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016. This is edition 51 overall. Now, before we speak to our three guests, I've got to let you know, I've got a little bit of news on the USAFL Nationals coming up later in the podcast, but I do want to give a personal thanks to everyone that has listened, not just to this podcast, but to our live VFL women's coverage throughout season 2016. If you haven't seen the infographic we tweeted, uh, we can let you know that we covered 26 Seven VFL women's matches live. That's 81 hours of women's football produced by seven volunteers. Everything came out of our own pockets, including not only the broadband and the streaming and all of that, the Rebel Sports vouchers that we gave away, a total of $1,150 worth of Rebel Sport vouchers given to our players of the day, came out of our own pockets as well. That's how much we loved the game and wanted to contribute to it. Now, reward, I guess, was uh, being there for three fantastic moments, including the first ever VFL women's draw, Knox breaking through for their first victory, and uh, Moana Hope kicking her 100th goal. That's reward for us and that is enough of us talking about us let's get into the stars of women's football and the first one on the line is a fair dinkum legend she is the former eastern devils ruckwoman two-time helen lambert medalist victorian representative and all australian she was taken at pick number nine in the first ever women's draft in 2013 where she played two exhibition games for the Melbourne Demons. She retired at the end of 2014 when they had the legendary Watto week. We thought that was it, was done and dusted. That is the last we're seeing of her. But no, Lou Watton is back. And it's great to have that legendary ruck woman on the line. Lou, you're throwing your hat in the ring for the National Women's League for 2017. I believe it was the TV game that turned your mind around and thought, I'll pull the boots back on again. Now, with that All-Stars Witten Oval match, were you there at the ground watching it live? No, I had to watch it on TV. I was actually up in Queensland. I was racing the next day um, up there doing a half Ironman. So, unfortunately, I couldn't get along to the game live. But, um, yeah, I was just thankful that it was telecast. Let's rewind back a bit to two years ago. You'd had a long-established career in the then VWFL, uh, particularly with Eastbourne and then the Eastern Devils. You'd represented Victoria. You played in the first couple of exhibition games for Melbourne. What what was your thought then when you first retired? Um, I I just really wanted to give um, triathlon a go. Um, I was in the last couple of years of footy trying to do both. Um, and with the rigours of triathlon training, it's a fair fair bit of um, training um, up to, you know, 25 hours a week and trying to play footy on top of that, my body wasn't coping. So I guess my last season of footy, um, I had a couple of injury niggles and um, I just thought, you know, it was time to give another sport a go. And um, I was able to feel, fulfil a couple of my goals in triathlon in competing in um, a couple of Ironman events. 
And, of course, over the last two years, you were doing those Ironman events. Just just to give an example, um, as you said, 25 hours per week training. How different do you have to prepare your body for Ironman versus footy? Am I guessing you've got to keep a more leaner shape for Ironman and look more at bulking up muscle for when you play football? Yeah, like ideally the, um, the Ironman training is a lot of volume. Um, I mean, 25 hours is probably my peak week. Um, it was anything from 15 to 25, but, you know, long hours out on the road, on the bike, you know, some sessions up to six hours on the bike out there um, in the peak period, um, a lot of early mornings. But, um, yeah, it differs a lot. Like, you want to try and lose lose a few kilos so um, you're lighter, um, being an endurance event, any extra weight you're carrying just adds time, time on and you've got to actually carry that weight. So, yeah, the training's very different. Um, but I think now that I've pushed my body to the absolute limit, um, I'm hoping if I get picked up by an AFL team that I now know that there's that extra level that I can push to. Now, the one thing that we're interested to know about is, as you said, on that game uh, when the AFL exhibition match occurred, that's when you finally decided to throw your hat in the ring. How long had that process been going through your mind? Because uh, chatting to Eastern Devils president and your sister, Joe Watton, she said, oh, geez, I don't know, um, she lose 50-50. And it seemed like, you know, a few weeks out from the draft that you were half considering it. I think when it all, all came about, I kind of jokingly said to a few people, oh, maybe I should pull the boots back on. Um, and it was a joke. Um, you know, in my mind, I thought, oh, it would be a nice fairy tale to come back and um, that kind of thing. Um, but at that time, I think I was two weeks out from my second Ironman. Um, so, you know, all my focus was on that race. Um, and then kind of as the weeks went on, I then watched the Olympics and um, I was watching a couple of the team sports on telly and... Um, I think the one that I really watched was when the the women's, um, I think it was the English um, hockey team, won their final on penalty shots. And just the joy that the team had and the celebrations they were doing together, I I really thought, oh, wow, I really do miss that team environment. Um, At times, triathlon can be a really lonely sport. Um, I mean, you do have other, uh, you know, members of your club that you can train with but really sometimes out on race day you do feel a bit lonely because it's just just you your bike and um off you go um so i think last week i was away by myself uh, as i said a night before the race and um without any teammates around me and then yeah just watching that match i was like um I really think I just need to put my hat in the ring and that passion just basically ignited in me um, as I was watching that match. Who were the first people you told that you were throwing your hat in the ring and what was their reaction? <laughs> uh, well, I got up very early the next morning for my race about 4am so I thought I wouldn't I wouldn't send out any text messages too early but uh, at 7am I, um, I took a photo of the draft nomination form I hadn't filled it in at that stage and and sent it to my sister. So she was the first one. I said, oh, I think I'm going to do this, just throw my hat in the ring. So she was the first one. And then I told a couple of people um, of my triathlon friends that that's what I thought I was going to do. Was there an instant call from uh, Eastern Devils coach Brendan Major going, well, you know, if you're throwing your hat in the ring for the national season... (laughs) Yeah, well, I um, I 
actually, a few days later, I actually told Hutchie and within about 10 seconds, Major messaged me. So <laughs> word got through pretty quick between those two. Um, but no, he hasn't pressured me into anything at this stage, but I have been for a couple of kicks just to make sure I can still um, kick and mark the footy. And actually on that, I think I've, uh, I've seen a photo on Twitter um, at the Oakley Chargers Football Club on a Saturday morning, uh, yourself, and Kendra Heil is actually uh, re- doing her rehab at the moment. Um, how, how's it felt for the first kick of the footy with the ball back in your hands? Yeah, well, actually, um, I've been for three kicks already this week. Um, the first kick, uh, yeah, it was fine. The next morning I woke up and I had a big bruise on the top of my foot because I wasn't used to kicking the footy and um, my hamstring was extremely tight. Um, just because I hadn't done the movement in so long. But it does feel really good to get out there and um, have another kick of the footy again. I guess the one key question as well is, um, as much as all the focus has been on uh, Emma King being the the number one ruck woman at the moment in the country, uh, when you come back, there'll be some familiar names. Uh, First of all, Tiana Ernst, who uh, essentially took over your role at Melbourne uh, uh, last year in the exhibition game. Um, And a couple of veterans due back, Astor O'Connor herself due back from injury. And from what we gather, Lauren Spark is returning from London and throwing her hand up in the draft as well. How do you feel coming up against all these old veterans that you've clashed with for many a years I think it's great that um, these old names are, are pulling the boots back on and getting out there I think for a little bit we'll uh, you know a little bit thin in the ruck area so um, so it's good that they're they're coming back um, and it's exciting to see the new talent as you mentioned Emma King seeing her and um, Pierce the other night go head to head that was a really exciting duel so The only word I've got for it is exciting. Yeah, Um, I think I might have to establish myself um, in another way. My early career, I played down back, so um, I'd like to develop, you know, another area of my game as well. Um, So if I was to be picked up, that I'd be a little bit more versatile as well. And we thank Lou Watton very much for her time, and it ponders the question. Who's going to be the biggest Watton name? Will it be Lou, the legendary Ruckwoman, or will it be her sister Joe in the commentary box for the AFL Women's National League next year? We wonder, but it's great to see uh, both Wattons. It looks like are going to be involved in some way with this national competition. They've been doing some fantastic stuff for women's footy. Now let's go across to America. Why? Because we need to chat to the force in women's football. Hang on, I hear you say. Isn't the Darabin Falcons the force in women's football? They've just won their fourth Victorian women's flag in a row, their ninth since 2006. Well, yes, that's a fine argument. But the person we have on the line, the USA Freedom Captain and Captain of the Denver Lady Bulldogs, Hallie Adrian, will be aiming to lead her side this October to a seventh national title in a row. Let me say that again, seventh national title in a row. That is what they're gunning for in mid-October in Sarasota, Florida. I've got Hallie Adrian on the line. Hallie, can you believe that you're going for title number seven in a row? Yeah, it's uh, it's been crazy. I've been playing for the Denver Bulldogs for seven years, and for seven nationals. And the first year I played, we only won one game of nationals, and... Uh, the next year, we only won the game we played by one point. It was low scoring. It was ugly. I remember barely being able to even walk at the end of that game. I mean, definitely the underdogs in 2010. And 
I feel like maybe just winning and winning in, in such a cool way really uh, jump-started our recruiting methods that have, I think, really helped us uh, on top for so long. And that's an excellent question. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if if a team from California, say LA or San Francisco or from New York, from a major centre, uh, had the team simply because of the amount of people that go through the area and expat Aussies. So the question is, how's an area like Colorado, Denver, the Rocky Mountains able to produce such a great Aussie rule side? Oh man, I am telling you, there's definitely, we've never been known for having like the best Aussies. I think every year that I've been on this team, we've always had one token Aussie that was either here for a one-year working visa, maybe dating one of the guys on the guys team, and they've been amazing players, but they're never like the reason we win. You know, like it is a team that is, you know, 18, 19 deep of Americans and that's it. Uh, Why I think Colorado has become this hub, you know, I'm not from here, but I moved here eight years ago and uh, it is a fit city. Like everyone here does something, you know, they're running, they're doing triathlons, they have some kind of athletic background, which makes them drawn to living near the mountains. But uh, these, these are American girls that are becoming quite amazing footy players. And I guess it's something interesting to examine. What are the tactics that you're using to try and uh, capture the interest of American girls, many who, of course, never would have originally have heard of the sport Aussie rules? Yeah, you know, uh, for me, and I, I think for a decent amount of other girls, what drew me in at first was not the sport, but the community um, of the Denver Bulldogs. We have two men's teams. Uh, our Divi 1 men's team has had a strong history. We even had one year where the men and women from Denver Bulldogs won the USAFL Nationals. And I do believe the support of the men um, and the strong culture that they had already laid made the women's footy aspect very easy to bring into uh, into the women's side. So I think the men actually do get a decent amount of credit because they already had a lot of uh, strong cultural and traditions. And for me, it was a great way to just meet people in general when I moved to the city. And it seems to be that the Bulldogs' attitude off-field has been very professional. I mean, just looking at your website, it's better than most Australian websites, including a detailed preview of every player, both men and women. Yes, so our Denver Bulldog board president, Brent Dowling, he is actually a first-year president this year, but he has a lot of resources. He's a very smart businessman and has uh, completely renovated our website this year, which has definitely helped with recruiting. I think in the past two months alone, I've gotten eight new player inquiries just from the professionalism of our website for the women's side. That is fantastic. Now, we've been focusing uh, recently on the likes of San Francisco and New York. They've been playing in a lot of uh, tournaments, being the Central Regional Tournament and just recently the East-West Showdown. What's the uh, roster been like this year for the Denver Bulldogs as you've been warming up for the Nationals? Yeah. Um, So, it's funny. I actually was just working on developing our our roster. We are going to have a a light bench this year. We we tend to kind of always... um, but the players that we're bringing are quality. Uh, we have uh, probably eight, nine girls that um, while we had nine girls that while the East-West Showdown were going on in San Francisco, we were just a few states north um, up in Seattle playing uh, Gaelic football national. So we cross over and play both Gaelic football and Australian rules, and we think that that actually 
helps us for recruiting and also for our fitness because in Gaelic you can't tackle. So you're just constantly running and it's a super continuous game. And I have to make a shout out, even though we're talking about footy, that the Denver Gales, which nine of the 14 people that went are on the Denver Lady Bulldogs, we won Junior B football um, last week, uh, two weekends ago um, in Seattle. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's copying pretty much what the Irish do, where the Irish obviously play a lot of Gaelic football, and uh, every second week or so they get together to try and practice Aussie rules, and for them that's been uh, successful, where they've won the International Cup in 2011 and uh, were runners-up in 2014. Yeah, absolutely. We've decided that instead of like battling and fighting for players between the two clubs, we're just going to establish a, a nice friendship and relationship and work together, since we do have players that are interested in both. And uh, recently you took on the uh, Minnesota Freeze, one of your last warm-up games before the Nationals. Now, Minnesota, I think, was the team that got you last year in the Nationals. How did you go in this return meeting? Um, we, we did fare well. And in Minnesota's defense, um, they did not bring their full roster. Minnesota is a huge club. They have almost enough girls for two full teams. They have a Division One and a Division Two team. Uh, they brought a mix of players from both Division One and Division Two. Um, you know, with our team mainly being all Division One players, you know, we did win this weekend, but we're definitely not taking them lightly when it comes to nationals in October. We respect them like no other. Their players are solid. Their club is solid. The fact that they have numbers to produce from two teams, I mean, I envy it, you know? And, of course, heading into uh, this Nationals, uh, I think I've seen the hashtag seven win as uh, you try and go for the seventh title. Let's have a look at some of the players that you've got in your side. I guess it's all built from defence, isn't it, with some players such as Janelle Myers and, uh, if I'm correct, Tara T-Rex Silky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to make a shout out to Tara right now because right now she's on the center back going to Nationals and hopefully listening to this uh, podcast soon, she will... Uh, maybe finally take the leap and book that flight. Uh, she's trying to buy a house here in Denver, so she's kind of on the fence about going. But uh, definitely the power in our team definitely starts with our defense. We have a new fullback this year um, named T. Strep. She's played anywhere from Ruck whenever I need a break to center half back to uh, – she's even been in the forward line a bit, but we've taught her to really perfect that long boot, and she's going to be a killer fullback. Janelle's back. Uh, Jess Gray, USA Freedom player, is back. Probably going to be playing on the half-back line. Um, and then we also have an amazing uh, rookie playing in the middle, Allison Bremner. She's going to be one of my Ruck Rovers, one of my main targets that I'm going to be tapping to. She was a high-level college basketball player from the Oakland area, and uh, she's going to be making she – she played at Nationals last year, but she literally touched the ball like three times. And now we have her to where she's usually our best player on, on the weekend. So, and, and just looking forward to that. And just looking towards your forward line as well, I mean, a couple of your forwards, uh, of course, uh, play within the national team, including uh, Lindsay uh, Kastanek and uh, Caitlin Masher-Makes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Lindsay is going to be back. Uh, we've actually been experimenting with her, not just in the forward line, but kind of in other places. She's a really versatile player who makes great decisions. But we kind of feel very stacked in the forward line this year. We have a couple of rookies coming in with a Gaelic background that know how to score goals. So we may actually play around with putting Lindsay somewhere else. 
Uh, Kate's for sure going to be our big marking target um, in the forward line. We're also uh, moving a couple of our older veteran players into the forward line so they don't have to be running and wrecking up the middle all the time with me, so giving them a little break. And, of course, uh, October is the uh, Nationals in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, is there any more uh, games you've got coming up before then, or is it now virtually just into training once or twice a week uh, before that big day or big weekend, should I say, in October uh, 16 and 17? Yeah, so we have four Metro games left um, every Sunday. We split up the crew because we usually have 20 to 24 training. So we'll do a 10 to 12 aside Metro game, full contact, Obviously a little smaller field um, the next four Sundays going forward. And then we'll have trainings, and then also uh, we have our fitness coach, T. Strep, who is our fullback, programming sprints and distant work for us leading up to it. No more official games. And, of course, uh, Hallie, you're also uh, captain of uh, the USA uh, Freedom. For you, uh, are you pulling on the boots again for another International Cup campaign being next year in Melbourne in 2017? I am certainly planning on it. I look forward to it. And uh, I guess one question we should ask, of course, uh, we've all been reporting on Katie Klatt uh, from uh, Sacramento, from the Suns, who has made uh, the trip to Melbourne. Uh, Kim Hemingway from the New York Magpies has thrown her hand up for the draft. Uh, from the Denver Bulldogs, or I guess anyone you've chatted to from Minnesota, um, has anyone been curious enough to throw the hand up and fill out the nomination form for the AFL Women's Draft for next year? Oh, man, you know, we've been talking about that a lot in Denver. Um, it's it's something a few of us have talked about. It's just so weird, the idea of like, nominating yourself. Um, I don't know if any of us have, like, um, the fortitude to do that, but it's definitely something, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say I've, I've looked at the website and I've checked some things out, but uh, it's kind of hard when you're managing, you know, adult life and a career and I love my job as well so it's uh it's you know one can dream and I definitely think about it for sure and we thank Hallie and wish her all the very best personally whether she nominates for the draft in 2017 2018 2019 2020 whenever let's hope there's a stage in her life that she can be nominated and hopefully be recruited by an AFL club to take part in the uh, women's national competition and of course from a team perspective with her Denver Lady Bulldogs as they go for title win number seven in Sarasota Florida in mid-October and talking about the USAFL Nationals I've got some news for you this year instead of two divisions it'll be just the one division at the national championships for the women and uh, out of that I believe they're going to make two pools of teams now I'm not sure it's confirmed yet it'll be six seven eight teams uh, that will be involved but uh, what will happen they'll be divided into two pools and the best two teams in those pools at the end of the round robin matches will meet in the grand final and they will play off for the title so uh, each of the teams get a minimum number of games and I've got some very good news for you I can confirm that because all the women's games we played on one oval that there will be coverage of each women's match at the USAFL Nationals. Uh, yours truly is flying across. I'll be calling some of the games. Brian Barish will be calling some of the games. And obviously, whoever else puts their hand up as uh, well, uh, it'll be done via the USAFL.com website. And of course, we'll be promoting it and pushing it as well through girlsplayfooty.com. Full coverage of the women's division at the USAFL Nationals. More details, including seedings, uh, will be on the USAFL website in the coming week or so. So keep an eye out for that and use the hashtag USAFL Nationals. Nationals. Now let's head north of the border, north of the United States, 
to Canada. Why? Well, they're just the reigning champions after winning the 2014 International Cup when they defeated Ireland at Punt Road Oval. And with less than 12 months to go until the 2017 International Cup, they've refined their squad to 30 players they'd like to see go across to Australia to play in the International Cup with some alternates as well should there be any injuries or for some reasons a player becomes unavailable. They're really looking to refine their style concentrate on strategy and stay one step ahead of the game because we know obviously the Americans will be throwing down the challenge, the Irish and boy have the Great Britain team really been flying winning their European championships. There's bigger threats coming for the Canadians and they're going to have to fight hard to retain the title in 2017. That's why I've got on the line their coach Jason Arnold, the coach of the Canadian Northern Lights. Jason, thank you very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast and can you believe it? There's something like 10 or 11 months to go until you defend your title, the reigning women's world champions at the International Cup. It's been uh, two years already. Um, it's gone really quick. Uh, and yeah, the girls are the girls are pretty excited that it's gone quick in some respects because it was just such a, uh, an amazing three weeks for them and the combination of you know, a couple of years of, or three years of, of hard work. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're certainly aware that things will be different this time. Um, and, might, and some players might have gone under the radar a little bit last time. And with some new countries coming along, which is really exciting, uh, uh, from what I read, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, um, Great Britain, and even a European side. Um, plus, uh, I know the, the Pacific Island, uh, uh, Tonga and Fiji are, are really working hard on development. So, um, And with their rugby background, they've, they've always been good at contested footy, so I'm expecting that they're going to be big improvers too. So it's going to be a huge challenge to, uh, to go close to going back-to-back for sure. And before we get into the specifics about uh, how you're preparing for International Cup 2017, this one takes on a completely different viewpoint for the individual players as well because unlike three years ago, this is the first time they're coming and recruiters will be keenly watching them because obviously starting off in February, six months prior, is the AFL Women's National League. Absolutely, and that's something that three years prior to 2014, our ambition was to, when the day came, because I was, I was confident the day would come, um, I wasn't expecting to come as soon as it has, which is fantastic for women's footy, that um, we would have at least one player that would be able to bridge the gap between Canadian footy and, and the AFL footy. And obviously with Kendra Hale and, and Angela Goers leading the way, from our perspective, we've got, we're excited about a group of you know, at least six to ten players that uh, that we believe can bridge that gap and, and be contenders for, for a position, maybe not in this draft, but I think recruiters are pretty excited with what they see. Obviously, there's plans for some of those players, which we'll get into shortly. But first of all, you had your uh, national camp uh, just a couple of weekends ago. Uh, God is it, I believe there was uh, 50 players that uh, put their hand up for selection. Yeah, we had um, we had 50 players attend the camp. It was over two days, Saturday, Sunday, um, a long weekend. And in addition to that, we've got our Australian-based players and some players that weren't able to make the camp for various reasons. Um, it was a fantastic weekend, and so we broke it up into the Saturday was around testing. Um, so we did some 3K agility testing, also skills testing, um, in line with the AFL uh, combine testing. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, we did some skill development. We also did a few hours on theory, game plan, 
um, because a lot of these players are new to our national program, so bringing them up to speed with the way that we want to play um, and what our focus is over the next 12 months. And then on the Sunday, uh, we broke into three teams and had some really competitive, three really competitive games, and the skill level was fantastic. Um, and the higher level, the players loved that it. it was a higher level what they're used to playing. Even I believe that the standard was higher than our national championships in May, which was a really good uh, good hit out for them. And on that point, um, particularly with some of the newer players, how are they adapting from playing uh, many would call uh, metro footy, like a, a nine-a-side competition, to learning the strategy of and playing 18-a-side? Um, we've had a real focus in making sure that between their club level footy and something like national championships or uh, um, our selection camp, that, that they do get opportunities to play it in a side. So, for example, in Montreal and Ottawa, they'll have at least three or four times a season where they'll have um, they'll go from club footy to a Montreal rep team and an Ottawa rep team play each other. Um, and in addition to that, Ontario will play uh, Quebec, so they get another opportunity to play it in a side. And the same um, over in the the, the West, we, have, we facilitate the same thing. So whilst they're not getting as much as we would like, they're still getting some, but the higher, the faster pace and the higher skill level, in addition to eight and a side, was a great development opportunity for them. And you talked about the new players. Um, having a look at their backgrounds, what's the majority of sports that you're getting them from? Is it traditionally, I guess, a, a soccer background that they're coming across from? Um, it's probably predominantly rugby, I would say, a rugby union. Uh, if there's one, there's a, probably a balanced mix. We've got some basketball, we've got some soccer, we've got some rugby union, um, we've got a, a volleyballer. Uh, one of the girls we've selected as a, as a, a, a predominantly a ruckman has come from a volleyball background, but it's just really uh, impressed with how quickly she picked up the game. Uh, looking ahead for the program as you build towards uh, 2017, what's planned out over the next uh, 11 or 10 months? Um, well, we've got our group of, we've selected a group of 40, we've got 30 plus 10 alternates. We found in 2014 that with injury, unfortunately, and, and various reasons that you can, you can lose a, a few players. So I wanted to increase uh, the base of players we had uh, still working hard to potentially fill a spot. So that group of 40 will be broken into groups um, based on location to work on various skills and, and fitness. Um, we'll come together in May uh, for a camp in the east and a camp in the west. We'll do some retesting and some more theory and uh, game. We'll have, we'll have games. Um, and then from there, we, we want to do most of that prior to the season because once you go in season, it's, you know, you know, it's a bit harder to do the testing and, 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 and do too much load. It's more maintaining at that point and more around game knowledge. So we're between May and when we, we head over at the end of July, um, there won't be a major focus at that point. And then we, we arrive a week before the game start. And that was a really valuable week uh, in 2014 for the players to be able to just focus on, on with the group and get to know each other better um, and and just purely train leading up to the, the first game. Um, heading into 2014, the International Cup, you actually um, uh, had a relationship with the Port Melbourne Football Club and, and the Canadian sides met both men and women based themselves out of uh, North Port Oval. Is that something that's being looked again in 2017? Yeah, absolutely. Barry Kidd down there has been a fantastic supporter of Canadian footy over many years. Um, I think it went back to 2011 as well. Um, and we'd like to have already reached out to Barry and hopefully it's such a beautiful oval. A, a great oval on the girls. It's, it's a, it's, it was a buzz for me to see them walk into the oval for the first time and see them, and hear the tradition of the 
Oval and, and be able to have a grandstand and, and so forth. It's just the new experiences for a lot of the girls. And, and, and I know the girls who were there in 2014 are really excited about going back there again. It's just amazing because it surfaced. Uh, we know in 2014 that both yourself and the Americans uh, sent across two teams, a development team each, only because it was a sense of also trying to build up the numbers of the women's division. What's the theory going into 2017? Because there's more teams from elsewhere, will there be only uh, one side each, or will we be considering the, uh, the Midnight Suns option again? There was a variety of reasons for thinking of going with one team. We, we decided to go with just the Northern Lights. Um, some of the factors were around it's really hard to pull together a team that the funding that's required especially because we've got a large number of our players going back again and it's it's, it, um, it's amazing really to have players that might uh, spend in the vicinity of $5,000 in 2014 and then three years later or two years later they're booking flights again to go back so we wanted to make one of the major things was AFL Canada wanting to support the 30 that get selected as much as they can and, and rather than splitting whatever you know, rare fundraising or sponsorship money you can get across two teams that was a factor um, we also felt that our resources get spread thin, uh, coaching and, and development opportunities get spread thin and we also felt in some respects that well we thought we'd get some buy-in, um, buy-in probably not the right word, coming back from 2014, the development of the players um, and then continuing on their footy, we probably didn't get that And, of course, that team, as we uh, said earlier, the reigning champions. You said most will be based in either the east or western part of Canada, but there are, there are some that either A, are currently based in Australia, uh, it's currently Kentra Hall at the moment with the Eastern Devils. And I remember speaking to you earlier in 2017, there was a hint that maybe some more Canadians are thinking about coming out a bit earlier. Yeah, we've got, we've got a few. Uh, Shana Willis um, from Edmonton, she stayed on um, after IC, and she's been playing up in, in Sydney. She's been back to Canada uh, in between, but her and Lara Helmy, uh, Lara captain the Shamrocks in Sydney, and they went undefeated all season and, and won the uh, Division One title there, which was was great for them. Also got a couple of players up in Queensland, Chantel Bowden, who got selected. She was a Midnight Sun in 2014. Um, so we've got a few uh, that have been that are uh, here, and we've probably got, I'd say at the moment, six that are committed to coming over and just developing their footy in preparation for 2017. Two are coming, uh, three are coming over in November, and uh, there's another three that are looking to come over in January. Some of the stars of the size, we said, uh, Kendra Heil, uh, Hilary Perry, um, and, and one superstar named Amy Legault. I'm interested to know in, in what her progress is at the moment because uh, a, a couple of years ago, she was obviously uh, played the International Cup 2014, and in 2015, um, she looked like an odds-on favourite to be drafted for the uh, uh, Women's Exhibition Games, but unfortunately did her knee uh, in a uh, VWFL match and uh, missed out on the rest of the season. How's her progress back been? Yeah, it's a, a tragic story. Like, just there's no one more respected in, in Canadian women's footy than Amy. And um, Amy moved to Edmonton as uh, part of her rehab, and, and I got to work with her closely. And and uh, she's still a little. She started playing again now, um, and her focus is on. 2017, and um, and if she gets back to anywhere near her best, I'm sure the recruiters will be uh, all over her and uh, uh, trying to get her signature for for uh, the 2017 draft. 
And I guess that's an excellent question. Um, how many do you know from Canada have decided to put the hand up, throw the hat in the ring and, and try um, to get drafted? Because we know as of this moment, more than a thousand women have actually submitted their nominations for the draft. It's amazing. Like, and at the moment, I think the biggest issue is that uh, the girls, the girls, I think, don't realise how close they are um, to being at the level. Um, and I think they'll see that once they go over in 2017. So realistically, there's, there's three players that are coming over in November. Two of them in particular are primarily preparing for 2017. There's one, Valley Moreau, who I believe is, uh, is a really good chance of being uh, not necessarily drafted this time around because I think it's hard for clubs to go sight unseen. Um, I think it's unlikely they would do that. Um, that's why I think 2017 at IC is the best opportunity for some of these players to, to make their case and for recruiters to be able to see them firsthand and um, not only see them because the, the rookie spots, they're, they're targeting athletes um, that might be new to the game. The benefit these girls have got, they're, they're talented athletes in their own right from other sports, but they also know their footy. And by the time they get to 2017, they're, they're going to be legitimate footballers in their own right. So I think that puts them in a great spot. And that's what we've been working on development-wise, that they did not only continue that you know, to show those athletic skills that would be attractive to a club, but also know that they uh, had the skills football-wise, but also had the knowledge that would, um, wouldn't need much work at a club level to, uh, to make them uh, a competitive for a spot. And uh, one other player that caught our eye that uh, been selected uh, in the 30 um, was, of course, the AFL Ontario uh, a female player of the year, Nicola Kerwin. Yeah, Nicola's been amazing. Um, and it was, it was funny, leading up to it, uh, she's been a great leader in Ontario football, not just on the field but off the field, and then fitted in brilliantly as a, as a leader amongst the group, and, and some players just stand out with their leadership skills, and Nicola's definitely that, so she's going to be a great asset for us. Um, and I think from an from a AFL perspective, I'm not sure that's immediately on our radar because it's a big thing to, to, to move you know, across the other side of the world for football and give up your career. And a lot of these girls have got you know, um, well-established careers of their own um, in Canada. Um, but Nicola's you know, tall, very quick, strong mark, great skills. Um, I think she's going to be one that definitely yeah, recruiters will be interested in. One great thing about the internet, of course, is uh, we can watch sport from anywhere. No doubt, of course, uh, all the women's footballers have been watching what's been happening in Australia with some of the TV exhibition uh, women's matches. But it also gives you the opportunity to obviously see uh, some vision of some of the American games, uh, uh, what the Irish are doing. And, of course, just recently now with Great Britain uh, going to enter a side. What's your thought on the competition that you've seen so far online and how far do you believe they've come since uh, the 2014 IC? Uh, cup. So exciting! Like, uh, and the job they've been doing in Europe, you know, uh, altogether is fantastic. Like to have, firstly, to have them this far out saying, "No, uh, we reached out to um, uh, European uh, AFL Europe to talk about either us going there to get some trial games or coming here." And 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 the main reason they didn't go ahead is because they were that committed to making sure they had the funds to take their teams to IC, which is really exciting for us. Um, to have more more women playing in the, the tournament. Um, as far as it's really hard to get a line through, you know, where country's going to sit because, you know, in our case we've got ten players that are that won't be there in 2017 for various reasons. You know, starting a family, we've got three with knee injuries, and then we've got a couple that retired. Um, but uh, so whether we're going to be at the same level or improve, we're, we're hopeful we're going to be even better. But with the 
what I've found from in Great Britain and across Europe that uh, they're getting a lot of 18-a-side games in and they've got good depth there and they've got some great coaching. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to be you know, super competitive and they're, they're very keen to not just turn up but be competitive. So when you've got players that are working hard to uh, to be competitive like our girls were heading into 2014, um, you never know what you're going to get. Well, Jason, thank you very much for joining us on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast and we wish you all the very best over the coming 10 months or so as uh, you prepare the women for the International Cup in 2017 beginning in August in Melbourne. Just on behalf of all the, the women that play footy in Canada, Peter, thanks for your support. Um, I know we've had an interview recently with Hillary, and again with this one, we, we appreciate the uh, the interest, and uh, we're looking forward to coming back to Australia in August and, and putting on a show. And I thank Jason for those uh, very kind words, and obviously thank you to our other guests, Hayley Adrian and Lou Watton. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for joining us for this edition of the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. We hope to have another edition for you in early October before I fly off to the US and head to Sarasota, Florida to uh, give you an insight on the USAFL Nationals plus the Euro Cup that's coming up in uh, Lisbon. It's a nine-a-side tournament that's uh, coming up in early October. We hope to get some coverage of that and obviously uh, we should by then have the lottery system already sorted out for the AFL Women's Draft that's happening on October 12 and some more news around that in our next podcast. Until then, thanks very much for your company and it's bye for now.